ready? Yep. Okay. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm your host, Jeff. I'm your other host, Jake. What's up, dude? Oh, just uh, on the job search. Yeah. It's been, it's been tough, man. You were saying that you're you're applying a little bit more? Yeah, well, I applied for a job with Homeland Security. I figured nobody mm-hmm. wanted that job, right, yeah. with everything going on with ICE. For sure. But um, so I get this email. <laughs> like, I've been waiting like two weeks to hear back from them. Yeah. I finally get this email from them, and it's like 7.45 in the morning, and it says, you are eligible for a GS5 or GS6, like, uh, position. Okay. And so that's pretty high. Like that's like you know over forty, you know over forty, starting over forty thousand a year. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and it's good government experience. So I'm like, I'm super stoked. Like, yes, I'm eligible. That means I'm going to be considered. Right. Like that's a huge step for me. A minute later, I get this <laughs> another email that says your re- <laughs> your application has been reviewed and you're not being forwarded to the hiring agent. I was uh, like, wow, thanks for killing. <laughs> I got one minute. Yeah. <laughs> of good feelings, oh. and then yeah, a crash. Well, I wonder. Because if you were, if you were eligible for that, I would imagine that there are other positions, maybe that you could explore that you would be eligible for. Yeah, as well. I mean, I, I applied for um, a civilian position with the Air Force mm-hmm, as like a mm-hmm. historian. Yeah, but it's way above. It's like a GS nine, so you oh. gotta you have to have like they said a bachelor's degrees, right. like but really like they're looking for probably a master's or a PhD. Was that through USA Jobs or USA Jobs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was that. In up north, I think is where those positions are. Uh, this one was in Texas. Oh, geez, so I dude! Just, I just threw my like name into the ring just to okay. Like, you know, could I even possibly right? Like, is it w- is something like this even possible? Probably mm-hmm. not. Right. But I didn't I mean finding out that I. <laughs> I mean, I guess in like to take any sort of positive out of that one particular application with Homeland Security was that you know. I could be eligible for a neuro five or a six position, right. which is a good like entry level position. So yeah, you gotta take those little wins because after twenty denials, mm-hmm. it's <laughs> real hard to find it's, those little positives. It's super tough. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I all my like all my friends who like aren't in school like are all in really well are all in really good jobs mm-hmm. and they're like younger than me, so mm-hmm. it's really tough. And I'm thinking, I'm looking around, like, who are the ones who are the most screwed? And it's like everybody that's history majors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's just going to take us a little longer. Yeah. Um, it's going to take persistence, I think. Um, but there's a position at the, the county that I'm going to apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously has nothing to do with history, but it's a foot in the door. Yeah. And um, I guess now the county does referrals. And so. Okay. Jen could give me one. Her mom could give me one. Her brother could give me oh, one. Oh, that's awesome. So hopefully I can take that step. And if not, you know, they can now give me referrals for other things if yeah. I find that. So For sure. Oh, that's really cool. It may not be the dream job yet, but there's ways that I can, you know, I've, I've found that I enjoy the public service and I enjoy working with the community. And so if I can find a way to do that mm-hmm. through the local government, that could be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where you're, you're strongest, right. you know, Thank you're you. the strongest and everything. So that would be, that'd be perfect for yeah. you. I'm pr- crossing my fingers right. for you, man. I it, hope you can it'll get be it. another four years of applying before <laughs> I get something, but I'll find something. Um, so t- today, before we get into what you wanted to talk about, um, mm-hmm. on Tuesday, my brother had his second daughter. Oh, congratulations. Yes, Braylee May. So happy birthday, Braylee May. And so 
her birth kind of got me thinking about birthdays. And I was thinking about different stories that maybe we could share. Um, I asked you to bring maybe a story of your favorite birthday experience. Or if you have one that's like gone wrong, that'd be funny too. So you can share either or. Um, but what did you bring? Um, so most of my birthdays throughout my life have been abject failures oh. by <laughs> most, mostly caused by me. Okay. Like I blow up my own birthdays. Okay. I wish, I wish Kylie was here because uh-huh. she would attest to this, okay. that I make such a big deal about my birthday, mm-hmm. but then I always end up like putting so much like hype into it. Uh-huh. And then I just like, I completely just destroy, <laughs> like I ended up destroying Ow. it. Um, I, <laughs> I get like, oh, hmm, it's hard to say. I okay. do different things. Okay. Um, one birthday was, um, I started getting in a fight with everybody, and that was not a good. At no. your birthday? Yeah. I, well, I, was, I mean, it's your birthday. You can uh, cry if you want to. Oh, I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned that. I was, I was just thinking the same song lyrics. Yeah. Um. So most of the time, like, I go hunting on my birthday. I okay. Go hunting by my either by myself or with friends or family. Okay. Um. Because it's my birthday is November nineteenth, so it's right in the mm-hmm. middle of duck season. Mm-hmm. Those are probably my best memories. Like, th- yeah, about two yeah. years ago, I had a, you know it was me and my dad, and an old and a like a family friend of my dad's. And they've been like best friends forever, mm-hmm. and we went down and we had a really good shoot, mm-hmm. and it was it was it was a ton of fun. Like those are those are the birthday memories I have I have the most fun. Right. But it's like the actual party part of it. Yeah. I just have given up on. Like, okay, this last year, this is the first year. Like I told Kylie, that she's like. I'm not planning your birthday anymore. I, don't I mean, what else have you done to sabotage your own birthday party? I just, oh man, you just fight I, with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like I have all of these big expectations, and uh-huh. then like, but but then I don't do anything to try to set it up. Uh, so then I get super disappointed, and okay. then I start to like kind of like lash out. Okay, it's it's my own. It's a hundred percent my own fault. I've come to this realization. I love that. So this so this year I didn't. This last year for my birthday I did nothing. I didn't tell nothing. my. Fr- I didn't. I didn't tell my friends about my birthday. Right. I didn't. Men- I didn't mention it. To I knew it was like your any, birthday. Anybody you did. Okay. You and Matt did because <laughs> you guys are the only people that I talk to anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, that's because uh, Kylie said I'm not planning a birthday. I'm doing <laughs> nothing for your birthday. We should plan so. like a sabotage birthday where we just put you through a ringer of terrible chores. <laughs> and then like then the next year maybe you have a really good party and you'll be like well this is way better than last year yeah so we set the bar real low <laughs> set the bar really low <laughs> yeah no i mean one one year i got in uh i this this goes way back but there was this big fight i got into with one of um a mutual like a mutual friend uh kylie had a group of friends mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i had a group of friends in high school and then Basically, we all kind of started dating each other at the same time, okay. kind of. And one of the girls and I did not get along at mm. all. And I felt like throughout this entire time, she was trying to. And this was me being really emotional. Like I, you? this is, yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> well, I in high school I was a lot different than okay. I am now. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And so I start. I th- I'm thinking she's trying to like torpedo my relationships with my friends. Uh-huh. So she was at my birthday uh-huh. and sh- I felt like she was like trying to stir up shit. Yeah. So then I like, I got really mad and then like half of like my, like all of my friends that were, she's dating one of my friends mm-hmm. and then the one, my friends that were closest with him, all, they all got up and left my party. Whoa. And, and then there was only a couple of us left. Like, 
and then Kylie's like caught in the middle because like this is her best friend. Right. And so I did a lot of things to f up <laughs> parties in the past. I'm an absolutely <laughs> terrible person to have a birthday. For. You know what? It, it kind of makes me think of like it's so funny. You have these pivotal moments where uh, that I'm noticing where you, if something goes wrong, you're just like never again. So like how I met your mother. Mm-hmm. From that point on, you're like I'm reading spoilers from this point on. Yep. And. <laughs> Your birthdays are sabotaged. You're like, I might as well just sabotage it because it's already going <laughs> to get ruined. That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's interesting. Pretty accurate. Okay, so I have. I'm sorry. We'll get you a good birthday. I'm, right. I'm a pretty good birthday planner. So <laughs> just now that you've told me that, I'm going to get with my best friend Kylie and we're going to plan it. All right. Okay. Um. So honestly, I think my favorite birthday party was my 30th birthday party. Okay. Which was. Almost two years ago now, but um, I got a bunch of friends together. We bought like seven tickets to Blink-182 at the amphitheater. Oh, that's when I first met you. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody came over, had some drinks beforehand, and then we went. We all sat in the the field or yard or whatever you want to call it at the amphitheater, mm-hmm. and just I seriously just danced the entire time (laughs) (laughs) and was just super sweaty and my brother was like getting down with me it was so much fun um and it was it was such a good birthday because I think I felt like a kid again Mm -hmm. like I felt like a little punk rock kid and I kept doing this thing I don't know if I told you this but it's super dark in the yard and like in the field and there's no lighting up there there's lighting from the stairway that people are entering and there's lighting coming from the stage but otherwise everything's kind of shadowed by the people that are standing in front of you so what I did was as there's like people just kind of created this pathway in front of me and just kept walking in front of me. So what I kept doing was I kept pointing at the ground going, whoa, 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 whoa. Like there was someone laying there or like there was a baby <laughs> or something. <laughs> and so everybody would stop and like get on their tiptoes and be like, what, 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 what? And there's nothing there. I'm not joking. I did it to maybe 50 people. Oh, my gosh. To the point where <laughs> I did it to the same person twice. You already got me asshole i'm like oh so sorry (laughs) so that was that was super fun that's one of my one of my favorites um another thing of my birthday is uh every year with jen's family we go camping um in astoria oregon every year and it's either the weekend before or the weekend of my birthday so that's always kind of a it's we've been doing it i think for eight nine years now Mm -hmm. so that's a super cool and fun tradition that we do um but <laughs> I think a w- uh, disaster birthday story that I wanted to tell you was about my friend Cody, mm-hmm. the one who egged my house while I stood oh, in the window. Yeah. yeah. So Cody has this thing where whenever he goes out with me, something terrible happens to him. Um, whenever we do something physical. So he was on my basketball team for a while in the City League, mm-hmm. and he played one game when he was joined the team first game he got elbowed in the mouth and had to go get stitches like four stitches in his lip oh it's terrible luck (laughs) so when we were like 14 um my mom was like i told she was like what do you want to do for your birthday and i used to skateboard and i was like i want to go to Twalton skate park um and me and my mom actually had a conversation about this recently Mm. and she was like i don't know what the hell i was thinking taking a bunch of 14 year olds to a skate park (laughs) and i was like it's what i wanted to do it was awesome so we get there and we're skating and 
Cody was a little uncoordinated. He fell on his wrist and snapped it. Compound fracture. His bone was sticking out his wrist. <laughs> oh, my God. Bleeding. <laughs> so my mom had to rush him to the hospital nearby and then call his mom and tell her, like, hey, you know, we're at the skate park, as you know, and Cody has a compound fracture and we're at the hospital. In oh, Tualatin. my Lord. So, gosh, that yeah, <laughs> and but it's always like Cody's like, I'm not doing anything with you anymore. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, he does, but it's like whenever it's like physical or basketball or if you were to play. Oh no, no, someone else. But uh, w- just these f- sports and activities, he gets mm-hmm. jacked up. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to say about my birthdays, uh, about planning them, that I think is interesting, kind of going off of what you said, is. I always plan I've always planned my birthdays and I've always kind of planned something big like mm-hmm. me and the man trip crew the 10 guys we'd I'd get invite them all out we'd all go out and do something um and then it was for my 30th birthday that I was like um no 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 I was uh I think it was either 29 or 31 one of those birthdays but I was I, Jen was like what are you going to do for your birthday I told her you know I'm probably not going to do anything I'm just going to keep it low key this year and as it got closer to my birthday, I started getting, like, texts from all ten of them, like, what are we doing this year? What's going on? And it's just so it became, like, this group, mm. like, activity that we all had to get into. And then, so even when I don't want to do it, it's like, all right, That's crap. really cool. Yeah. It's super fun. So I'm not trying to poo-poo on your birthdays, but I'm pretty cool. Well, <laughs> I don't take it as that at all. I <laughs> No, no. But, I mean, so, no, it was, I think it was year 29 I didn't want to do anything, and then they were like, hey, what are we doing? So Jen was like, let's have a pizza party, and we had a pizza party. Matt came that year, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think you did. Um, and But, I mean, it's just like it's now become like these guys' expectation to be like, let's do something, let's do something, which is great, mm-hmm. and it's cool, but I think – it's different when you plan it because then you I think you do have those expectations and when you're planning it you can kind of guide them but it'd be nice but I plan the man trip I plan anytime we go and like float down the river like I'm the planner of the yeah. group and it would be so nice to just do something like my birthday where I don't have to plan something like For that sure. but all those guys are like what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing Yeah I'm this I have I it's funny you bring that up cuz I'm almost a, in in like my other in my uh, group of friends that you know obviously aren't me you or matt mm-hmm. i'm the i'm the event planner mm-hmm. for all of that so it gets always gets i, I know that, that what that can feel like right I, I set up all of the like every flag you know the flag football season yeah yep. anytime we we did anything back mm-hmm. when we all used to hang out a bunch it was always me setting it up and if i didn't pick up the phone i never heard oh I never yeah. heard from them oh yeah so like yeah, I know exactly what you Are you still orchestrating all that flag football stuff, mm-hmm. too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It can get a little frustrating when either someone's not pulling their weight or, like, because you're planning it. So you're expecting everybody else to, like, at least do the minimum that yeah. you're asking. Just show up. Yeah. And some you don't even have that sometimes. No. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. I so. mean, it would be fine if they didn't show up, but they paid because at least like you're not on yeah. the hook for them. But it's the oh yeah, I want to I want to pay. I'll I'll get you. I'll get it to you like week one or week two, oh. and then they just stop coming. Yeah. And then so you've already like you've told everybody else like you've split the league fee seven ways. So you told everybody it's going to be split seven yes. ways, but they only have six people. Mm-hmm. So you're you then you have to pick up that seventh yep. person's because you can't really go back and be like oh hey actually guys it's going to be like an extra five bucks right. or whatever. So you end up I having would. to pick up like an extra. S- 
Yeah, you're more much more confrontational than I am, though. Well, I'm so confrontational. I was thinking about this when you were telling me that because I've had the same thing happen. I'm so confrontational. If you're going to be that dude who bails on me, peace out. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably won't be your friend anymore because that that pisses me off. Like, yeah. like at least have this the respect for me and your other friends to either say ahead of time. Don't just say yes to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of I hate this maybe crap. So many kids today or friends today or people today are, are maybe like maybe maybe just say yes or no. It yeah. won't hurt my feelings if you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to play, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I'd rather have somebody who wants to do it. Yeah. But then those guys who do pay and then don't show up, pff, whatever. I'm not mad at that because then I can have other people sub in. And For play. sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I my <laughs> my scissors have been sharpened for a long time for maybe like 10 years. So as soon as someone's like screws me over, I'm like snip later. Yeah. But sometimes I can let things go like planning to float down the river or something. I knew you're going to bring that up. <laughs> I can oh, see gosh, it in your face. <laughs> So I was supposed to go floating with uh, Jeff, I think, last summer. Was it last summer or two summers ago? I think it was last summer. Okay. It was yeah. last summer. I was supposed to go floating the Clackamas River with Jeff. And um, I I did not handle it well. I should have just said <laughs> I didn't. I should have just said I didn't want to go. Right. But I, was, I really wasn't feeling well. Right. But I should have let you know a lot sooner than for what sure, I did, for sure. like which was like two o'clock in the morning before we were supposed to go. So completely my bad. No, but um, I think it was good for our friendship because it was kind of like a growing experience. So now we both have an understanding of kind of how we react or how to handle that scenario from then on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always cut to the chase now, I think, yeah. with you and I like, dude, just tell me yes or no. No. Okay, perfect. And we move on. Yeah. Which is awesome. So mm-hmm. that worked out. No. Nope. Yeah. Perfect. I had to bring that up though. Yeah. No, I knew you're going to I knew you're going to As soon as we got on the got that conversation, I knew you're going to rib me about that. You're looking at me like, "Uh, <laughs> is he going to say it?" <laughs> um So yeah, thanks for sharing those birthday. We'll 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 do something. We'll have to do something for your birthday. All right. I'll think of something. I like to do something. It'd be it'd be fun to get like everybody back together like you me and Matt and for sure. do something like that. When's he leaving? Not till April. He's got away. He's okay. Got away. So okay. Need, I know. Next time I talked to him on Overwatch, he was he's looking for other things so he can cancel that. Basically, oh. he, basically, he just has that in case he doesn't find anything between right. now and April. Right. So that's not a bad idea, though. No, it's not at all. Yeah. Okay, we'll get something done. Um, so for today, oh my gosh, as far as like the world of history and politics, we have. A lot that could be said. We it, it was a Trump hurricane that just blew through the political landscape of the United States. Well, really, even the world. Right. It was an, it's absolutely insane because I remember like two weeks ago we didn't really have anything to talk about. Yeah. We kind of took a two week political hiatus, which was nice. We got right. to talk about some Harry Potter. We got to talk about uh, just some you know what games and just some just fluff stuff. Yeah. It was Clay nice was on. A, we talked about some TV shows and stuff. Yeah. It was nice to get away from it. Right. But now I think we got to refocus and talk about some of this stuff. <sighs> I mean. I don't I don't know where you want to start, but I think you and I had mentioned with a situation that we've seen recently with him (laughs) kind of correcting himself on would and wouldn't. I mean, how fitting is it that our podcast is called Say What You Mean? Because he definitely does not. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh dude what a mess it, it it truly is i don't know how we're having a conversation about wood and wouldn't right like it's he he it wasn't like he slipped up one time 
and then just was like got got back and was like oh dang like oh i accidentally i left off the apostrophe t like yeah it no <laughs> you you purposely said that because you insinuated that the entire news conference how stupid does he think we all are I don't think he cares about what the rest of us think. Okay. He won by a minority right. elect. He won by a minor- minority of the popular vote. Right. He cares about what his base thinks, that 35 okay. to 40%. Yeah. He needs to maintain that 35% are always going to vote for him. I, I just have come to this conclusion that 35% of our, vote, of our voting populace is going to vote for him regardless. Right. There's 5%, 5 to maybe 7% of, the, of our populace that apparently hasn't decided yet what they what they th- what they think of him? Mm-hmm. I think they like some of his policies. They like the fact that he's conservative and he's picking conservative justices, right? And they're willing to last out Ugh. this embarrassment of like, yeah. of our country on the global stage for them getting domestic policy wins, right? How much longer those people are willing to stay with him? But I think he, I think his advisors have at least identified that, and by him trying to walk all of this back is trying to desperately hold on to that to that, you know, kind of 5% swing that would be either if they moved away from him, it would be ruinous. Right. Or if um uh if they if he keeps them, it means he could he might be able to challenge for an election in, you know, what two and a half years. When you said walk all of this back, are you referring to the wood and wouldn't? Well, yeah, but he, but he's also saying now, have you looked at all uh, the last two days? Mm-hmm. He's now today he's saying he's trying to take this super hard stance against Putin saying like it was 100% Putin like right. like he did meddle in the elections and he now he's taking this really hard like aggressive stance which is really easy to do once you're back home across the Pacific Ocean and you don't have to worry about old big bad Putin standing Dude, across the stage from you right next to him just pandering oh my god i could see Putin's hand up his ass <laughs> Oh my God! He was just praising him the whole time, Sm- and and Putin just standing there smirking, smirking the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 so what I see, as far as attacks on the left, is that we're just it's that it's that rage culture that the left and the extreme left is just being pissed to be pissed. Yeah, I mean, so there's a, I mean there was as there should have been a lot of collective outrage. Right. About over this. A lot of even Republicans were like this was embarrassing. I saw even Fox News was reporting that they were they were embarrassed but also kind of attacking him. Yeah, no, they were critical. Yeah. I mean obviously not like the Hannity's. No. But the no. you know, the, the, the Shepherds and the Cavutos, right. some of the some of the lesser known Fox News hosts were definitely taking a very critical stance of the president. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's not defendable. Like what he did on that stage is not defendable if you're an American. Yeah. And or if you're if you if you're living in Western democracies. So why? It's not why do you say that? Why do you think it's not defendable? Not that I don't have my own reasons why I agree, but I just want to hear why you think it's not defendable. Why is it so bad? Well, I think because it's um, you know you have an adversarial nation, and Putin has it's it, it's multifaceted. But mostly it has to do with Putin is an aggressive stance. This Russia has not ceased to be an adversary of the United States at any point. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's different than the Cold War. Russia is a little bit more economically interdependent upon the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. They, they believe in you know, they're members of the G20. You know, they're obviously a Security Council member of, the Na- of NATO. Mm-hmm. But to say that they are 
no longer a threat to the United States mm -hmm. to completely take the side of an adversarial leader mm -hmm. who we know our, you know our intelligence agencies have said this guy meddled in our elections to take his side over our intelligence community like how much more of a slap in the face is that to the men and women who are defending this nation right from his attacks right I, that that's that's like my my broad point of why right. i think it was inexcusable but also what does that say to our allies in western europe who he's constantly undermined throughout the NATO summit. Right. But then he goes and cuddles up to Russia. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. someone who's like avidly, like ardently supports him, they're saying, well, he's playing 3D chess. What he's trying to do is he's, he's trying to get Russia on his side to then be able to pressure China. The problem with the fallacy with that is, is that Russia has much more economic independence with China than it does the, what does, than it does with Western Europe. Mm -hmm. China, Russia is part of a trade institution called BRICS. That's uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South africa mm -hmm. they're major trading partners trying to get russia to if even if that is somehow his goal it's not it there's no reason for russia to then turn on and put pressure on china mm -hmm. if his goal was then to try to get russia to agree to some sort of um our ceasefire or armistice in in syria to get the um that that conflict in syria down so you don't have those waves of immigration flooding into europe he also completely undermined he's undermining his, his ability to come to a to come to that you don't come to putin from a stance of weakness you come to him with a stance with a stance of strength and that entire time was just pandering he didn't do anything yeah. to assure the united states and its allies that he was going there on behalf of them it felt just completely self-interested to me right and then to come home and change your tune I can't help but think like Putin's sitting there going like, yeah, I know he's just got to do this. Mm -hmm. He just has to say this when he gets home. Well, his uh, his initial press conference was that it looked like he was reading a ransom note. Yeah, <laughs> like he was being <laughs> like he was being forced to right. say these things. Yeah, because of, because of Republican lawmakers, and I guarantee his aides were like, "What the hell?" Yeah, because apparently they had an agreement. Like him and his aides sat down yeah. before the summit. Yep. They talked talked it out, and he was going to go on stage and take an aggressive stance with Putin, <sighs> and then completely called an audible as soon as he stepped on the stage, yeah. and caught everybody off guard. Right. I mean, that's but that's just quintessential Trump. Right. Right. Well, was it that article that you sent me that was talking about? And I don't disagree, but just as far as like these these controversial names and meeting with them, like. Um, Kim Jong-un and Putin and those are what are going to get get ratings he's coming from like a businessman like a celebrity mm -hmm. like I'm going to get attention if I meet with Putin and I talk with Putin and I'm going to get hits and I'm going to get attention and I'm going to get people praising me if I meet with Kim Jong-un opposed to these relationships with the Europeans that he de democratic relationships he's had he's just crapping all over them yeah and why is that because i don't know i i, th I think we, we 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 can't know what his what his own self-interests right are we, we we can't know why he's doing this we can only uh, try to assume we can only look at the facts that we have and then try to assume for sure, motive for sure but i don't see how in his mind mm -hmm. i mean this is just my personal opinion right i don't see how in his mind he thinks that this is best for the united states so for so therefore I'm just taking I'm just taking a complete assumption that this yeah. is all about self-interest. Yeah. Because there's there's nothing that benefits the United States from that from his stance at that meeting. Right. 
Well, so one thing I wanted to share is I saw this. I mean, it's a meme, and we all know how that memes go around the internet today. But I thought you would enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> so it's saying, uh, it says, are you saying that you don't trust what our intelligence community has to say? And then it lists, like, Project MK Ultra and Operation Northwoods. So he... There is this idea that he's undermining the institutions. Mm -hmm. And then the counter argument is that, well, we can't trust these institutions anyways. Yes, I, I get I I get I get that argument. That was the argument that came out originally. Like right. I got into it. I got I'm way too much of a Facebook crusader. Yeah, I know. Um, I got into this pretty like um it was actually it started out a really good back and forth with uh -huh. me and this guy there's a big trump supporter he's a friend of a friend okay we always end up arguing on our friend's facebook post oh gosh so we were going back and forth about nato and he was saying like well it got to the point where it just he, he devolved into using memes right so i'm like at this point i just said all right i'm out yeah. i told him like if you're just gonna argue with conspiracy theories and memes like there's no point in right. continuing this conversation but his argument was that yeah the same thing is can you we can't trust the intelligence community because look at all of it. Like they, he's like, can you honestly say the intelligence community has acted professionally in the last twenty years? I'm like, well, okay, let's. That's really not a fair question to ask because at what point and in what situations and, I mean, once you start, yeah, delving into that, cons like, oh, there's like this deep state right behind it. That's so you can't trust them. We're just got to trust the guy who's trying to drain this. Who says he's trying to drain the swamp? Right. Because we can't trust these instances. We can't trust their intelligence community. Yeah. I, I just I can't I can't get myself to to make that to make right. That well, maybe my response is a little more simple, but it's assholes. You're trusting. Okay, I understand that you're going to say that here's the history of these intelligence institutions and mm -hmm. agencies, but you're going to trust Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Putin. Yeah. Over the CIA and the FBI. Mm hmm. That's what you're trusting. You're tr putting your trust. You're, if you're a betting man, you're going to put your trust into Donald Trump, celebrity apprentice host, <laughs> and Putin, yeah. the, the leader of Russia, not the United States. You're going to put your trust into those two Yeah. over the institutions. An ex-KGB officer who's a master manipulator of information right. and, and messages. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to take his word for it. Uh, We're, what world are we living in? I when Amer when Americans, Republican Americans, who are generally more hawkish, yeah, are more are willing to trust the word of a f of a f adversarial leader of a nation of a of, an, right. of a nation over our own intelligence communities. Right. It's so annoying to me. Like I get pissed. I guess like this is one area. It's like it's like gosh dang it, President Bush, like. With the intelligence failure of, of Iraq, mm -hmm. right, with yeah. there not being any WMDs, yeah, I, that has done such irre almost irreparable damage, right, to our intelligence communities, um, you know, the faith in our intelligence communities. I think that really right. kind of almost starts a lot of that mistrust. Mm -hmm. But there are intelligence failures. For sure, I, I'm, I'm. There is things that you thought you knew that it turns out you didn't. Right, but also you could argue. I mean, how many of these intelligence success stories happen? That are too sensitive for us to know that we don't hear about. Yeah, we only hear about the failures, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, it's 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 in honestly, like I'd rather trust the institutions that have safeguards against bias, right? 
than I would just a guy, act, you know, a, you know, leaders acting on their own accord, right? Without really m- many checks, other than you know the populace who chooses to believe them or not believe mm-hmm. them. I'd rather believe I'd, I'd rather believe an institution like the FBI that has checks and a hierarchy that ha- every information has to go through. Right. So the only way, I mean, I guess this kind of gets into their overall argument that uh-huh. there is systemic. Um, that there's like this sy- systemic conspiracy within the FBI. Yeah, so the reason yeah. why this bias is allowed to come through the intelligence communities is because there is top-down mm-hmm. conspiracy against this president. Right. Which, because the Obama administration somehow militarized the FBI. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's just, once you start to think... Right. So once you start to think that way, it's so easy to... Right. I guess it is easy to then make the to make sure. the jumps of these logics. That's why I, I, I just... I can't. I can't let myself start to believe in conspiracy theories because well, this is where you ultimately kind of where you end up. And I've I've always been that, you know, challenger of these institutions. Even in our conversations, mm-hmm. I've I brought up Operation Northwoods in the past with you, and you had a good point. And even when doing research on that stupid meme that had all these this list of all these CIA failures that included Operation Northwoods and uh, MK Ultra, th- those big like national embarrassment conspiracy theories if you will mm-hmm. all occurred within the 50s and 60s those were the the extremes and that's one argument that you made you're like okay well let's just say these things happen and they say and they happen the way that you're saying that they did how long ago was this so you brought up the WMD kind of intelligence failure there mm-hmm. that's the most recent one but i mean as far as this like evil corruption of either mind manipulation or conspiracy to attack the u.s and blame it on cuba as far as those big ideas that we know of today mm-hmm. we're we're uncertain of that we don't know if those have happened but when you if you're going to claim and you're going to cite those things those happened in the 50s and 60s yeah and and i can argue you can argue rationally that all of those those occurrences northwoods or whatever it had yeah. rational explanations behind them it doesn't have to be some systemic you right, know, con- some right. systemic you know you know deep state conspiracy yeah. like with with specifically with um and i, I would actually want to get into this when i'm talking about inter- my international relations talk mm-hmm. i'm going to kind of plug that for what's coming up okay but um you know with uh, iraq saddam hussein ne- wanted to make it appear that we had that he had weapons of mass destruction as a act of deterrence against American aggression, mm-hmm. he felt like if he oh okay. in, in against in against Iran, he felt that if he had weapons of mass destruction, that would deter others from screwing with him. Look what how how well that's worked for the North Korean regime for right. how long, right? right? So he felt like if I play if I pl- if I play if I play my hand right, I make it look like I have weapons of mass destruction that will d- deter. Any any attempts to overthrow my regime? Mm-hmm. He guessed wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 guessed wrong because America wasn't going to sit on its hands, mm-hmm. especially coming out of nine eleven. Right. I mean, nine eleven fundamentally changed how America how America sees the world. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of writing on how nine eleven has affected the American psyche in terms of how we s- like now we see ghosts under every we, right we see bad guys under every right. rock, and it's completely changed how America sees. Um, you know, sees itself in the world and sees the world in relation to it. Right. And um, it's really fa- some some really fascinating research yeah. on how America's foreign policy completely shifted after 9-11 in relation to this. And in 2003, 
you can you can see how that when if you're already really really nervous about that region and specifically right. in future attacks, you could see how you almost have a confirmation bias in the intelligence communities to then lead you to think that he does have actually does have WMDs on top of his own actions right. domestically. And that just creates a confirmation bias. And th that is a problem that does happen when you have a, a further expanding executive branch with more and more authority in the for international sure, sphere. For sure. Especially with the passing of the wartime resolution, which was aimed to limit right. a president's actions. Right. Um, in terms of what they can do militarily overseas mm -hmm. without congressional approval. But ultimately, with how fast-paced and how much easier transportation is these days, you can, you know, a pr a, you, only, you don't have to ask for congressional pr approval after, you don't have to ask for congressional approval after 60 days. Right. Most conflicts are over in a day or two these yeah. now. So you can, you can, I, I just, I, you can see how rationally, it doesn't have to be some conspiracy that Bush wanted oil. You can right. just see how institutional um, oh, okay. arrangements end up creating these these in, these um, these failures of intelligence for sure where people thought they knew something right there's all of this confirmation bias mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then it ends up you know culminating in you know in a war that's an interesting point yeah yeah there's a really good book called fixing the facts fixing the facts yeah okay. that's worth a read yeah that sounds like is that what mm -hmm. kind of what you're yeah. saying that yeah, sounds yeah. awesome mm -hmm. hmm yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's hard for me not to get frustrated by not only what's happening, but then the reactions of everybody and how extreme everybody gets and ignoring facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, you know, and kind of like you said, it's it's you, you can't defend what's happening. But there are those who are trying. <laughs> well, because there's power at stake, right? And that, and ultimately, like that's like I, my my manager asked me. Him and I go to when we go to lunch. We just we, we talk about politics because both him and I are Republicans, but just cannot right. Oh, they okay. cannot stand what is going on with this you know with this current administration and yeah. what it's doing to the Republican Party. But the it's like how can these people continue to defend it? Like how can Sarah Huckabee Sanders stand there and constantly defend the indefensible? Yeah. Especially now more than like more than it, there, there's like two like benchmark uh, like occurrences in this administration. One was Charlottesville that like you cannot right. defend him saying there's both there's nice people on both sides <laughs> of the Charlottesville protests. Yeah. Like one side was white supremacists. Right. Like you can't say that, right? That was a yeah. huge watershed moment for him when people looked and be like, wow, this guy actually might really be racist. For sure. Because before there was like inklings of it, like he didn't denounce David Duke, but you could kind of maybe explain that stuff away. Right. At that point, there was no, ex that was like, that was a line of demarcation. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you're still defending this guy is not, you racist. know, racist after those comments, I don't know how you can, Right. I don't know how you, you're just basically bending logic because you don't want to mm -hmm. have you don't want to critique your guy. Mm -hmm. Now this if you're uh, now after the Helsinki summit with Putin, if you're not worried about this guy in the international re in re international relations, <sighs> you're just you are literally just admitting facts. Yeah, and you're you're ignoring obvious observable signs that this guy is dangerous right. to the United States. So I mean I I hope I hope that that resonates with the American people because if it doesn't, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah, but see, and then that's just us. That's uh, outrage culture, and that's us panicking for no reason. I 
you can make that argument with a lot of things, but that I don't. I, I don't either. I mean, the the only thing that honestly, like, I might I might just might just be a completely a complete a failure of imagination on my point, mm-hmm. on like my on my part. But other than fi- firing Robert Mueller, yeah, what worse can he do at for this sure. point? For sure, that's like the last thing, yeah, that he could do. In my opinion, that for, would, no, be, would sure. be worse sure. than what he's done so far. Yeah. But I might be proven wrong tomorrow and he goes and does something. That right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You never know. Um, there was something else. Uh, I mean, you know how much I love his his Twitter. Um, so I took some screenshots today. Um, the summit with Russia was a great success, except with the real enemy of the people, the fake news media. I look forward to our second meeting so that we can start implementing some of the many things discussed, including stopping terrorism, security for Israel, nuclear proliferation, cyber attacks, trade, Ukraine, Middle East, peace, North Korea, and more. There are many answers, some easy and some hard, to these problems, but they can all be solved. I'm interested in what the more is. (sighs) And more. It's it's I, that stuff. I mean, yeah, that's all great goals, right? But like Trump, where just get some specifics. How are you going to use work with Russia to achieve A B C D? You know everything he just listed in that tweet, right? <sighs> I mean, uh, for me, the thing. I mean, and, and I know that it's 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 meant to do this. But what sticks out to me is that he's calling. The enemy of the people, the media. Mm-hmm. And I read this article this morning about how a lot of the media and a lot of the journalists, um, I don't know, I can't remember if it included Fox News or not. I am assuming it didn't because they're not being blatantly attacked by the president. Mm-hmm. But they're all grouping together and choosing to unite at these press conferences and to work together to get their questions answered. Yeah. So, um, and but I think it's interesting to me when I read into that, when I deconstruct that with w- how I'm analyzing it, I can't help but focus on the fact that he called the media the enemy of the people. What that tells me is that there is some insecurity there of him being called the enemy of the people. And I think that after that summit and after that meeting with Putin, I've heard that rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming he's heard it. Yeah. So his tactic is to flip it and say that it's the media because they are the ones who are calling him the enemy of the people. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think about our discussion about the military inherently being um, attacked when you attack Trump. Yes. So is it fair or not to say that by attacking these institutions and um and uh like the CIA and the FBI mm-hmm. if attacking them is inherently attacking the american people because it sounds like that's what we're saying Be- yeah or by attacking these people you're in a roundup in a, in an indirect way right i would say um but that has more i mean there's more I'm trying to think of the right thing to say here. Mm-hmm. It's 
by attacking the FBI and the CIA, those are like the say those are like our like our those are our institutional like those are our safeguards. Right. Right. Between those are those are organizations that were set up, you know, by the executive branch mm-hmm. to then be able to you know basically help safeguard the United States. Right. From, At home and abroad. Yeah. From you know from enemies both foreign and domestic. Right. Th- these are the tools that are being that are that were institutionalized to be able to safeguard the American people. Right. In our interests. Right. By attacking those institutions, you are in. You are um, attacking. The, I think, by extension, attacking the American people. Very well put. Flip that, you right. know, in, in like where where you're saying, you know, there's there's this insinuation that by attacking Trump, you're attacking the military mm-hmm. because Trump supposedly stands up for the military. Right. That is, you're talking about a president. You're basically that's you have this ideological belief that he stands up for the for the America for for the military. Mm-hmm. You're, you have to make some real, like, logic mm-hmm. jumps to try to actually make that argument. For sure. In my opinion. Yeah. Is that Does that make sense? I, I, think I'll, I feel like that yeah. was kind of weak. No, 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 no. I think it makes sense. Um, because th- he, he's not... S- all presidents are in charge of the military. Right. Right? So it's only your opinion that that particular president is better for the military than any other particular right, president. Right, That's right. That's more of what I'm For sure. No, I think that the connection is harder to make than the one of the FBI and the CIA protecting the American people mm-hmm. because that job includes investigating the president if there's an issue. Yeah. I mean, it, sure. it just makes sense. If there's mm-hmm. an issue, if the president is a threat to the American people, it is those institutions that protect them. Yes. They are our ability to watch the watchers. Right. Yeah. For sure. Which is essential for a democratic society to maintain. Which it tells me that there's a level of guilt there if you're undermining them constantly. Well, before there was. Yeah. Until it's your guy doing it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because true. because power's at power is at stake. That's true. <sighs> what else do you have? So I thought we would well, I thought we would, you know, give this a uh, little bit of a, a shot here. What I've been trying to do in this, because it's something I've noticed like, as a lack of attention in, uh, in 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 different literature that's out about right now. Like anytime you Trump says something, you've got like instantly like a hundred articles being posted across, oh, yeah, um, you know, across publications, you know, range, you know, all over the political spectrum, and everybody is like taking their hot takes on it, blah 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 blah, and like what, sure. what this could mean, but. No one has, at least not in the area of journalism, has anybody tried to take an academic look mm-hmm. at where, like, what could, what is, like, if there is a, because all people say, like, there's no, he, he's not theoretical, he's not ideological, there's there's nothing, there's no theoretical basis for anything that he's doing. He just basically just takes every interaction as it is in the time that he's doing it, and then he just worries about everything else later. He doesn't pay attention to the law of unintended consequences. He just basically, you know, shoots from the hip okay. in every in every interaction that he does. And I you're going to try to argue that there's more than that. I want to try to argue that there his that there is he does have a worldview. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, this is going to this is going to require us to have a, a a short discussion about internet about the theory of international relations. Okay. And we're going to get into two of the biggest schools of thought right. in international relations, and that is realism versus liberalism. All right. All right. So both realism and liberalism 
assume that there is an anarchic env- environment at the international level. Mm-hmm. That means there is no government that's that you know punishes defection, right? Enforces rules that um, protect you know this individuals within that government. Okay. So at the international level, you have what's called you know is basically anarchy. There is no government. Mm-hmm. So realists in international relations believe that all states are chiefly concerned with one thing, and that is survival. The need to survive trumps all other aspirations because in in a state of anarchy, only you can depend on your own survival. Okay. You are you are the sole proprietor of your own of your own survival. Okay. Does that mean does that make sense? Like, yes. Because there's no there's no police to keep you from killing me. For that sure. means if you've got more power than me. You you can come and take my lunch money, right? And I there's nothing I can do to stop you for sure because there's no threat that a greater force is going to come in and stop you from taking my lunch money, right? So if you have a belief in human nature that people are inherently self interested at for the individual sure. level, what that just taking that assumption and attributing it to international relations that states are are um, self interested because of the anarchic state makes them self interested mm-hmm. because they don't know the they don't know the uh, intentions of right. of their neighbors, so they're constantly having to worry about their own survival. And what that, how that manifests, is um, I mean, okay, hold on. So at the, at the international level, uh, there is no you know there's no government. So much like individuals in a pre-state society, nations are forced to rely on self-help strategies in order to survive because there is no overbesiding government to enforce rules or punish defection. Right. The two types of self-help strategies are both power and security. Okay. So, pow- in power maximizers, which is a theory per- put forth by a guy named Mearshammer, is that he states that all countries are power maximizers, and what that means is that all that nations will look to maximize their power by exerting their power over their neighbors by using force or co- coercion through the threat of force. Okay. A state can only achieve its own security once it once it has. N- neutralize the threats around it however it'll it's always concerned with the rise of rival nations in relation to it because it threatens the state's ability to survive in a state of anarchy those who do not have power look to gain it by maximizing their own fitness by gaining by building up their own militaries to try to rival other you know other nations more powerful nations to try to then supplant them and be able to use their influence to then neutralize their neighbors so it's this constant battle of trying to maximize your own power to then try to you know allow yourself to survive mm-hmm. in an anarchic in an anarchic world which is why according to realists states are always suspicious of one another right so a security maximizer looks at it a little bit different mm-hmm. so um kenneth waltz who is a neo-realist he put forth this theory and that this assumption is that states will maximize their security by maintaining a level of power that will deter others from attacking it or attempting it or attempting to control it. The problem with this is that it creates a paradox. It's called the security dilemma. That is, when you start to try to when you start ramping up your own your own military capa- your own capabilities, mm-hmm. you may only be doing that to protect yourself, to try to ward off other people from coming in right. and trying to influence you or take you over. But because there is because it's we have a condition of anarchy. Mm-hmm. You don't know why I'm building up. I can say, well, like I'm only building up for, for deterrence, sure. yeah. but you see that as it's like your neighbor goes and buys a big shotgun, right? And you start to worry, like, well, you can say it's defense, it? but you could interpret it as an offensive move. Exactly. Yeah. And because there is this lack of 
uh, information, this mm-hmm. information gap, because mm. states are going to constantly try to hide their own capabilities. Right. Because if you give, if you tell another state what your capabilities are, that could war, that could tell the other state, well, I ha- actually have more than them, so I'm going to come and take, oh, I'm going to okay. come and take yeah, what yeah. they have. Yeah. So if you, <clears throat> so you're going to be secretive about your own capabilities. For sure. So because it's just you know it it's part of you know the self help strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that by it's, it creates a security element, which is which is that by building offensive capability for deterrence, you raise your, your neighbor's suspicions. So they begin to build up their own personal arsenals, which then creates arm races. And um, based on this information, think of Iraq in 2003. Right. Saddam Hussein was doing all that he could to attempt to um, uh, make it look like he had weapons of mass destruction to then, uh, as, a, as an act of deterrence. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, the international sphere is a condition of anarchy, so you don't really know what your neighbor's intentions are. So right. you assume that your survival depends on your ability to fend off possible attacks. So, did what I'm t- so you can kind of see some of Trump's logic there, For sure. right? Especially yeah. in the power maxim in the power maximizer right um, theory, where he sees any sort of rival. Um, any sort of gains relative to the United States as yeah. a threat to our national security. Okay. You see that with him saying, well, f- with with the steel and aluminum tariffs, where he used that as he used that as a, he used those tariffs. A lot of people said, well, it's, it's, he's using, you know, the tariffs. He's justifying the tariffs as national security with just a guise for his own self interest, right? For his own personal self interest. But if you're if you're if you are operating off of a power maximize power maximizing power maximization theory you could see how him fearing other you know other nations rising in relation to the united states as as a legit national security threat mm-hmm. so i basically what i'm what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to um assume that he really is looking out for america's best interest right it's just i'm so i'm trying to figure out in order to do that I have, in order to do what I'm trying to do, I have to assume that he's looking out for America's best right. interest. Otherwise, all of these theories just f- fall apart. For sure. Okay. So, <clears throat> any questions on, on realism? No. Am I making any sense? Yes. Okay. So, in liberalism, in contrast mm-hmm. to realism, is, well, they both, well, okay, so not in contrast, but they both believe that the international relations is, anarch- international relations is an anarchic environment. Right. Liberalism assumes assumes anarchy, but believes that using collective institutions, the principles that tame self and self help strategies at the domestic level, can be applied to the international sphere. Right. Principles like free trade demo- and democracy have allowed for greater amounts of freedom and much fewer occurrences of violence at the domestic level. Liberalism attempts to form a semblance of law to the anarchy in international relations. These theorists believe that institutions like the UN, the World Trade, or- Trade Organization, and others can alleviate the pressures that cause nations to adopt self-help strategies by allowing for an environment where grievances and disagreements can be hashed out through talks and rule and apply some semblance of international law to an anarchic state. Um, you there are several different types of liberalism. Chiefly among them is commercial liberalism, which has been popular amongst the Democratic Party, trying to create I- economic integration. That's where you see, like, in trying to ease tensions with rival nations by bringing them into the fold of these institutions. You see with China being brought into World World Trade Organization, the theory behind that was that we can ease tensions with China by allowing them into these institutions to, to collectively benefit. And over time, that will cause them to, to liberalize making them less of a threat. Right. Um, Republicanist liberalism kind of goes hand-in-hand a little bit with commercial liberalism, at least how it 
manifests in the United States in terms of policy, which is the um, which is the spread of dem democratic institutions. This theory is underpinned by the historical fact that democracies don't fight each other. The democratic process makes going to war very slow, but also because dem democracies are generally more open about their institutions and capabilities because debates and rulemaking usually takes place in a public forum. It's much harder to hide your capabilities when you're arguing about a budget that is then nationally broadcasted and it can be picked up by anybody in the world. Right. So, whereas North Korea can constantly hide, because they have state-controlled media, they can constantly hide what their true capabilities are mm -hmm. because nothing gets out. Right. It's more. It's it's obviously way more authoritative. Yeah. But they can hide their capabilities much better, sure. which allows them to, to thwart off possible attacks. It's it's. I mean, it's the liberty and security paradox. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have more liberty, you do lose inherent security. Okay. Anytime you have more security, you lose you lose liberty. Right. That's just. I mean, it's it's a it's a paradoxical relationship. So, taking those two theories into into account, I'm going to then try to bring in. To some, I'm gonna try to bring in some political psychology into this a little bit, and that is, um, there's a book out by a guy named uh, Robert Axelrod, and he wrote a book called "The Evolution of Cooperation," mm -hmm. and what he was trying, to, what he was trying to answer with his book, is well, he so he creates this model, and in this model, there's a whole bunch of these what he calls um, just called player. We'll just call them players, and they interact with each other, and he's assigned. Uh, he assigns a value to interactions. So if when when two players interact in this model, they will if they both cooperate, they have the highest return. Okay. If they both defect, they have the worst. They have the worst return. But there's a better return that if somebody cooperates but you defect, you do better than that other person. Okay. So you're better off if you both cooperate. Right. If you both defect, you're both worse off. Right. But you can't. I can't control you from defecting, mm -hmm. so I'm always going to defect. That's called the prisoner's dilemma. Right. So I don't know what you're going to do because I don't have. I don't know your intentions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm better off defecting because if I cooperate and you defect, I'm worse off and you're better off. Oh, okay. Right. Okay? Right. Right. So that's part of anarchy because there's no I, there's no government that's going to make you cooperate. Right. So you're you're going always going to defect because you don't know what my intentions are. Right. So over. In one-shot games, that means in one in single-round interactions, mm -hmm. those who defected did better because what they looked to do is because they could maximize their own, um, they could maximize their own output. Okay. And this is how I argue that they they can maximize their return because they're going to do everything they can because they don't have to worry about the future. If I screw you over now, there's no future, right? Right. So all I got to worry about is what's going on right now. Right. So I'm going to try to look at what's best for me mm -hmm. because I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future because there is no future. Okay. Does this, this make sense? Yes. Okay. So that's what this is how I'm arguing. This is where I'm going with Trump with his um, with his worldview. Okay. So he he sees all states as power maximizers. Right. And he so he in order for the United States to survive, it needs to maximize its own power. Mm-hmm basically marginalizing everybody else around him because you can't trust anybody else around you because it's a state of anarchy. Right. And he views everything, all every interaction with either a single nation on a bilateral level or on a multilateral level with an institution like the like NATO mm -hmm. as one-shot games. Right. I'm going to try, in this one shot, I'm going to try to maximize the return for, for the United States because I don't trust you guys to act out for the America's self-interest. Right. 
I can only trust what's best for America and its own survival. Therefore, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm going to defect. Okay. Because I don't have to worry about free. I'm, he's not. He's not worried about the future. Right. He's worried about what's going on right now. For sure. So, but in multi-level games, those who chose to cooperate did better than those who chose to defect every single time. Mm-hmm. Better immediately or better long term. Better long term. Okay. Because those who co- who those who chose to defect every single time, there was retaliatory defection on both. There was right. retaliatory defection on both sides, and then those who chose to cooperate every time, when they chose to cooperate, they did more. They did significantly better. He threw it. He then developed a player that's called tit for tat, mm-hmm. and that is, in in the first interaction, you choose to cooperate, no matter what. Right. Your first interaction, you choose to cooperate, and then you mirror. When next time you meet that player. In mm-hmm. in a subsequent round, mm-hmm. you mirror what they did in the previous round. Okay. So if I met, so if we and I were both players, and I cooperated, you defected. I lost that round. Mm-hmm. The next round comes around, and I mirrored what you did to me. Yeah. So then we both we do both end up losing. Mm-hmm. But what what this ends up doing is it allows it does allow for forgiveness, but it a lot. But over time, he found over many many rounds that tit for tat did better than cooperate. Than the, the cooperate only players hmm. and did far better than the defect only players. Right. So what this is basically saying is that international relations is all about cooperation. For sure. You you are going to sacrifice short run gains, short run right. massive gains for long term stability. That ultimately over over a long period of time, you are going to be better off. Mm-hmm. So I I have a fundamental f- like disagreement with uh, with his worldview, but I do think that there is some. There is a theory there. Maybe he doesn't see it, but there are people like there are people who adhere to this theory that are advising him. But this is just that's just how I see him in international relations. So, are you thinking that he's defecting every time, or I think he's choosing to defect. Okay. Yes. Every time. Yes. Okay. Because he because if you're only concerned with if you're only concerned with one shot mm-hmm. with the one with a one shot interaction, he's not concerned. I've never seen him worried about the future. Right. Nothing he's ever done has been. <laughs> nothing he's done is to try to set up for long run success. Everything right. is like right now. Yeah. What am I going to do? What is the best thing to do right now? Right. Everything is about everything is about the present. He doesn't worry. I, I've never seen him mention anything about the future. So, I I believe that he is he is worried about comp- like maximizing the return on on whatever in whatever interaction he's going to do. So yes, yeah, I think he's I believe he is a def- pretty much a defect only player in international relations. Okay, so I'm I'm the dummy when it comes to this stuff, but what I think about when you're saying all of this is I think and I'm wondering, I'm asking you, is a good example of this seen through his choices and decisions in tariffs and trade. Mm-hmm. So if he's defecting to administer tariffs is that the right way to look at it? Yes. And then, so then, because he's defecting, they're defecting, yes. and it hurts everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody will do worse off. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why um, uh, Jean-Claude uh, Juncker, who is the EU, um, he's the secretary of the EU, basically like a president of the EU, he's the head of the EU mm-hmm. uh, council. He basically said, like, we're all going to be worse off with these tariffs, but we can't co-op- we can't look to cooperate when another when another actor is defecting, right. because we will be because <laughs> we'll be the suckers. Right. We don't want that's called the suckers payoff. Right. When you cooperate and the other person defects, you got the suckers payoff. That means you got the absolute worst possible deal. 
So I'm wondering, I don't know if you know the answer, but what if everyone else chose to cooperate with each other Mm -hmm. and not the U.S.? Sure. I mean, the problem is is with that is that the United States is so much more um, relatively powerful than pretty much i mean it's as powerful if not more powerful than the entire eu block right so i'm not i'm not talking like i'm talking more specific Mm -hmm. with trade yes because i think that is where i'm that's where i go as far as having an understanding of all of this okay yeah and that's a perfect that's a perfect realm to view this right so if they all choose to trade and all choose to not tax one another on product Mm -hmm. How would that look, excluding the U.S. from that? You, you would. This is. I mean, this. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, in international relations, it's not as it's not as simple as like a one level game. Right, right, right. But so you got to start adding multiple layers to this. And since the United States is the most powerful economy, Mm -hmm. it has the biggest consumer. We're like the biggest consumer spending. For sure. Our markets is the strongest market to sell products in. For sure. So you could see how the EU, if the EU chose to then just hit the United States with retaliatory tariffs and keep free trade amongst itself, it would probably be okay. Right. But um, you're losing out on that American, you're losing out on the American market and everybody's still worse off. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I assume that it was always going to be worse off. So the problem is, is that, so now you've got like an, you have an institution and the EU has pretty strong leadership, but now you're dealing with with England, who is trying to leave. You're now you're losing your first, your big, your second biggest market in the EU block. Right. So, the what are you going to do about defection? Because now the now Brexit, you know, England wants to break away from the EU and start its own bilateral trade agreements with the rest of the world. Yeah. What happens if England then sets up a better bilateral trade agreement with the United States and anything that the EU has with the United States? Mm-hmm. Will you start to see then more defection from inside the EU and that institution start to break up? I think that's the biggest threat mm-hmm. that the EU faces right now is not that necessarily England leaving. They can, they can survive that. Right. But what happens if the, if the grass is you know, green on the other side of the fence? Things start to grow. You know, and you, gotta, you have a nation like Greece or you have a nation like Italy mm-hmm. that starts seeing the deals that Britain is having bilaterally with the United States mm-hmm. and it breaks up and then it, so it breaks up the EU and it limits its ability to then use retaliatory tariffs on the United States. And then, so you have all these bilateral agreements, but nobody really working together. So in the EU, they're stronger together, mm-hmm. yes. especially countries like Greece. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Gr- Greece and Italy would both, there are in, there are, like Matt would be perfect to have here because he's more of an expert on Greece than I am. But uh, Greece, Greece wants to leave the EU because they they feel like their markets are actually being marginalized. With okay. so even though Greece is better off, there are like in the United States we're better off cooperating, but we constantly have a, we elected a president who says otherwise. Right. So I mean he's completely subverting reality, but they believe that in Greece too. Right. That they would be better off not uh, not as part of the EU. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's I hope that all of this <laughs> sort of made sense. I kind of went through it pretty quick. That's a huge crash course in international relations mm-hmm, in about mm-hmm. 25 minutes. But I th- I think that it does point to his Trump's you know worldview and the pitfalls of it over a long period of time. So I so listening to all of that, I think psychologically. 
which is kind of an aspect you touched on, mm-hmm. political psychology, I think that I could see kind of his point of view as far as defecting to protect is kind of his idea. Mm-hmm. Now, but I don't know if he knows that he's doing I think he knows that he's doing that, but he doesn't understand the liberalism and what was the other one? Realism. Realism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think he understands uh, historically how these institutions have worked, historically how trade has worked. Mm-hmm. I think that he does – I think he does believe he's working in the United States' best interest by kind of isolating and defecting. Yeah. But I don't know – it's interesting that you said that he has advisors who who are – who do understand these concepts, mm-hmm. who may be kind of influencing his choices. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is definitely Bannon. Like, Bannon – this is Bannon's worldview. Right. I just think he's – He's just so simple-minded mm-hmm. that it's hard for me. I, I, Like you said, these short games, I, I think that that's how he's thinking of things, and he's just thinking of them quick. And, I mean, like you said with the meeting with Putin, he had advisors who all agreed, let's go in there and be aggressive, and then he goes and does what he wants mm-hmm. because of his own worldview, maybe. Yeah. Or, or it could be because of his own personal gain that he's trying to satisfy sure oh boy i just think it's hard it's hard for me to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's genuinely looking for the nation's best interests especially if there is some secretive cooperation with russia and we won't know until further down the road but his actions last week definitely make me and a lot of other people mistrust what he says oh for sure so uh, i don't know i mean we it's 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 been documented that he does not read (laughs) yeah they have to highlight in the most important parts of his security briefings because he just doesn't right just doesn't read it so he's not reading history he's not reading political theory he's not even reading the pertinent information to do his job right handed to him at his daily briefings right so i definitely think that he's coming at the at presiding over a nation the most powerful nation from a business standpoint yeah because you can do that domestically right because you have you can punish there is rules in place to punish defection so you the the things that you have to overcome in an anarchic state that you don't have to overcome in a, in, in a, in a domestic state where you have this over of our over you know, arching Leviathan, mm-hmm. it, 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 it makes how you go about your interactions so much different. Mm-hmm. And he, in he just, um, his attack on the institutions, I think like on the UN and the world trade organization and NATO, I think it, it completely shows how, wrong his rule world view is because of what they do i mean if you're a liberalist right and right and, and i and that's what like i adhere to liberalism like as a theory for international relations right and when i see him attacking these institutions i was like he doesn't understand their importance and right. what they do at the structural level mm-hmm. to allow for 
better cooperation and better enhancement of American self of of American interests and world interests, and that we're not in this alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like trying to create like you know a demo- you know some sort of democratic process in international relations that keep wars you know senseless wars from happening because right. it creates this place where if France and Germany who are always fighting over resources and mm-hmm. uh, um, in uh, Alsace Lorraine mm-hmm. like that's they can go and have there's this there's this place where they can go and have this mediated talk and come to a diplomatic agreement where both sides end up winning. Right. But when you have this tit, when you when you aren't at when you have this defect only mentality that mm-hmm. the world is out to get you and you're worried about power maximization and relative gains, mm-hmm. it creates this boogeyman. The whole world is this enemy against right. you, and it create and it wants you to become a turtle. It makes For you sure. become a turtle, and it's just it's completely wrong point of view and it's not a worldview that the republican party has traditionally had in international relations he's just completely flipped it on its head and now it's he's making everybody think that the world is out to get us and he's created this whole narrative about how the eu is you know killing us in trade and they're out you know they're they've taken advantage of us and we're the suckers we're getting the suckers payoff mm-hmm. and that hasn't been the case at all right I, it just yeah i mean that's <laughs> you know it's an interesting thought i just had about that um you're talking about you know, defecting for protection and, and, and everybody's kind of the whole world's out to get you. And you kind of your body language showed you like a turtle, like you mm-hmm. said, kind of cl- closing in inside. And I just had this thought of even. Even here within the United States, I think that you kind of see that that rhetoric and that attitude of defection from both the left and the right Mm -hmm. as far as like we're not going to listen to what you have to say because we think you're wrong and we're going to protect ourselves and only vote for this side or only support that side that's the in-group outside out-group dynamic that if you're political psychologist has been formed throughout evolutionary time that was a survival technique that our ancient ancestors and pre-state societies had to had to live with right. because there wasn't it was an anarchy right so you can only worry about yourself you know you can only count on yourself or your in group right for survival well and so your your analogy of the turtle i can't help but feel that way mm-hmm. so you have these extremes on both sides and it we've talked about this before as the moderates and those who identify a little bit of both we don't we're in the middle and we're kind of feeling like shunned away from both sides yeah for I, sure i yeah. just think it's interesting as far as like at home, we see that as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jake. How are we going to solve the world's problems? I don't know, but I feel like we paid a lot of money for a degree to tell that shows us how F the world is, and there's nothing we can do about right, it. Right, right. <laughs> I definitely feel that way, too. Uh, history, and, 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 and I didn't get it in political science, but having all my friends who have a poli-sci minor, um, and I've taken some political science mm-hmm. courses, but... Yeah. Just having an understanding of these institutions and these programs and structures that are created to create or to um, to foster that liberalist ideals yeah. as far as democratically solving your problems. Mm-hmm. And now we're just getting so away, f- so far away from them internationally and domestically for sure and to harken back to our episode five 
don't get caught into the trap of what li- of what you think liberalism right. means. When I'm saying liberalism in terms of international relations, I do not mean the Democratic Party in the United States. Right. So I just feel like I got to point that out. Which is no, no. I think I think you you did a great job explaining that. Um, and I think that I think there needs to be a continued emphasis on on those who are willing to have that conversation and to who are willing to kind of talk these things out and listen to one another opposed to just shouting into an echo chamber and ignoring everything else mm-hmm. that might counter what you believe or because that conversation having that conversation on both sides from both sides benefits both of you yes yeah it it bene- cooperation always benefits both parties right and there's none nope and we have an example that that position of president is it's it's idolized and looked to to from citizens as like children yeah they all know who the president is mm-hmm. and the just this attitude in this polarization kind of being fostered from within and parents and family Family's not talking to each other anymore. It worries me that maybe I just hope it doesn't extend to, you know, younger generations. But I also, you know, I was thinking about this today at work. Um, you have you have a lot of I've seen the argument a few times um, about, you know, where where was all of this um, raising hell when. Barack Obama was choosing to do A, B, or C, or George Bush was deciding to do A, B, or C. And, I mean, for you and I, I was 14 in 2001, and I was uh, about to be a high school dropout. Yeah. So my understanding and my my worldview was very narrow. Mm-hmm. But now I have a better understanding. I have an education. I'm – I. I have an understanding in, of history, yeah. Um, and especially at that time, if I was politically active at 14 years old, knowing what I know now, I it would be very different. Yeah. So but you mean, have, how, but how could you? Right. right? You just, there's no way. And so now you have these people who, at that time, are now adults speaking out or making decisions or supporting left or right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I called out, you know, throughout Obama, President Obama's um, presidency, I I, I called out exact what I thought were executive overreaches, right? And this president's doing the exact same executive overreaches, right? And the people who I thought rightly criticized President Obama for his uh, growing of the of executive power, mm-hmm. which I think is detrimental to our republic, because mm-hmm. um, it messes with the balance of power that's inherent in our in our the found in the foundation of our of our government. Right. Um, are now saying, well, it's going to take executive overreaches to correct for the executive overreaches that the Obama administration <sighs> did. And how can you make that argument? Because once that once that Pandora's box has been open on right. executive power. You're not you're not releasing that back in Ugh. because how many more bureaucracies are you going to carry? How much how much are you going to create? How much more just institutional red tape are you going to create to and you basically yeah, you might have the right intention. I'm going to use my executive power to then 
try to limit um and then try to you know try to reverse some of the uh, the past presidents uh uh you know like you know problems that they've done they've, right. they've created right. um but that's i think that's a, such a microcosm of our society that we want everything done right now right you, you you're seeing you're seeing courts becoming so much Ooh. more politi- becoming so much more politicized well put. Well you're seeing put. our executive you're seeing our executive <laughs> branch becoming so much more active and so much more unilateral right and really this our government was intended to use the the legislative branch to work these things out because that's right. where we're the most democratic and we're ignoring the legislative branch, or the legislative branch is becoming then lackeys right. to the president. Right. Like this is a complete, like there are complete fractures. Yeah. In in both parties are 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 part of this. Right. Both parties have consistently over time created the, f- the created this environment for Trump to have this amount of power. For sure. And it w- in you know having a a, a more strong executive um, executive you know leader works when you've got a guy who is you know it. it it's not as glaring when you have a guy like President Obama or like a guy like you know President Reagan, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're doing, you feel like they're doing, they're making the right decisions, right. or they're making decisions that end up being beneficial. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you see how glaring it is when you've got a guy like Trump, mm-hmm. who's using the same things that the other presidents have. He's using the same tools that the, the, those other guys have built, and it's turning out so badly. Right. <laughs> but that's that's the pitfall, right? Is like because we're not, we don't have. You know, it's like the same thing with with a monarchy, right? Monarchies work great when you have a great king, but what happens when you have a we have a we have a, yeah. a crappy king? Right. So it's it's the same it's the same concept. That way, I mean, I just feel like we should net we we should do our best to try to limit executive power, even if it benefits us in the short run. Because look what happens in the long run. We end up with a guy like Trump. Right. I want to ask you a question, um, just real quick. So you have um, Obama just made a speech in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And you have George Bush, who has publicly um, had some speeches, and in so in several and Bill Clinton, um, President Clinton as well. You have these former presidents who are giving these speeches or talking publicly about whether it's at an event or for a charity or yeah. whatever. In their language and in their speeches. And in their rhetoric, you can see that they're condemning the actions of this administration. Mm-hmm. But none of them will say President Trump's name. Yes. Why do you think that is? You know, it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking the exact same thing. When I write about President Trump on Facebook or whatever, a lot of times I just end up referring to him as a generic pronoun like him. Mm-hmm. Or um, so yeah, it is. It is interesting. I don't have an answer. Okay. <laughs> for that, I, that is very very interesting though, because I I do see it. Right. I do see it. Me too. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> like you know how they didn't mention Voldemort's name. Right. Just, you know, he who sh- must not be named. Yeah. Or you know yeah. You, you know who. Yeah. And it's just like is he <laughs> is, is he viewed by those people as by such a you know like such a big bad right that they just don't even want to mention his name. Right. I, I don't know if that's how divisive we come. We can't even use a president by his name. Or maybe a fear of backlash on them for... I mean, they're clearly talking about the administration. Yeah. But they're not saying his name. Okay. It's yeah. Just, it's I, just it's, weird. It is, it is weird. It is weird. I don't know. It's just a yeah. thought I had. Well, I don't know, dude. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's, man. 
I had a lot of fun on this episode. Yeah, I appreciate you um, learning me some things. Oh, I mean, I yeah, I was typing. You should see my notes on my computer. It's yeah, pages. Yeah, pages long. I went a little overboard. I have a mini notepad with, I think, three bullet points on my <laughs> notes. Gosh, we didn't even get to the NATO summit. I had a whole page of notes on that for sure. And I, I mean, we haven't talked basketball at all, but. We can do that another time in another episode. Um, but it's a long off season. Yeah, gosh. Um, but as far as this one is, goes, um, I think that's about it for yeah, us. Yeah, let's this wrap, week. wrap this one up. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, we always appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Um, follow us on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and iTunes, please. Um, and hit us up, hit our email, um, at what is it? S Y say S W Y M podcast at gmail.com. Crushed it. Good job. Um, or send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Um and I'm interested to know what you guys thought about the Harry Potter specific episode. Yeah, let us know because that was a little offbeat for us. So if it worked for you, let us know. If it didn't work for you, let us know why. Right. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, love you. Love you too. Bye. Dance my heart.